The Independent Audit Committee was established by charter and receives audit reports and other information from the Denver Audit Office. The committee strives to bring greater clarity, transparency, and accountability to Denver's city government and its residents. It is also responsible for commissioning an annual audit of the city's annual comprehensive financial report. This committee is chaired by Auditor Timothy M. O'Brien. Good morning. I'd like to call the November 17th meeting of the Independent Audit Committee to order. And Amy, uh, my new executive assistant, is going <laughs> to take the role this morning. Here. 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 He's excused. Here. Here. All right, thank you, Amy. And um, next item is to approve the October meeting minutes. Is there a motion to approve the minutes? So moved. Second. Thank you. Any discussion? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? All right. Next item, report briefing on Denver International Airport ETI's CAFE concession contract. Um, Dawn, would you like to make any comments and then introduce the team and then I'm, we'll ask the airport if they have any opening comments and if they'd like to introduce the people they have here this morning. Okay, yes, thank you, Auditor O'Brien. Good morning, Audit Committee members, uh, guests, and our viewers. Um, just want to point out an element of a strong internal control environment is, is compliance in areas like rules, regulations, management, oversight, and review, and agreed upon contract terms. Um, this audit shows some signs of a weakened control environment by allowing ETIs to self-certify their financial information, hold a long-term contract without providing or without competing to provide those services, and bypassing some of the contract terms designed to provide assurance that revenue is reported accurately. <clears throat> Holding vendors accountable for complying with their contract terms is a key component of that strong internal control environment when you're managing vendors at the airport and really in any setting. So the report that we'll brief today is just one of the many concession contracts out at the airport that um, they're responsible for monitoring. So I'll pass it over to Sonia to introduce her team and then we can um, introduce our guests. Okay, great, thank you. Good morning everyone. So I'm Sonia Montana, I was the audit manager on this particular audit. I have John Michael Steiner as the senior auditor and Katie Scott as the audit intern. And then we also had Ryan Barnes who what also assisted with the audit. And I just want to start off by thanking the airport staff and ETIs for their cooperation during the audit. I know uh, we made quite a few requests and providing that information was very helpful for us to complete the audit. So Mike, Heidi, uh, any opening remarks? Good morning, um, I'm Mike Beal. I am the interim deputy CFO at the airport and we wanna thank uh, the audit team and the audit committee for um, the report that we have today and going through it and all the work you guys did and helping us throughout this process. And I will let the uh, other team members introduce themselves as well. So. Good morning, I'm Heidi O'Neill. I'm the director of accounting at the uh, airport. Good morning, everyone. My name is. Pamela Deschamps, and I'm the Senior Vice President of Concessions at the airport. 
Thank you. Oh, good morning. Uh, shall we get started? Sonia? Sure. Okay, it's not working. It's not working. Just a moment. <laughs> yep. So we're taking a technology break. So it's no surprise that our all-weather airport, the representatives made it here without <laughs> any incident. I hope without any incident. <laughs> but, uh, yep. <laughs> okay. Next. Next slide. Okay. So on page one of the report, we start with the background. In 2021, Denver International Airport was the third busiest airport in the United States and ranked the same in the world. It served about 59 million passengers that year and generated more than $33 billion for the region. Next slide. Earlier this year, our office issued a concessions management audit report. That audit found some concessionaires were allowed to bypass the competitive selection process and other concerns related to the program were identified. After that audit, since risks in the contract management process remained, we decided to audit individual concessionaires separately. We use a risk assessment process to begin this series of airport concessionaire audits, which brings us to this audit today. Next slide. The airport's concessions program oversees more than 170 shops, restaurants, and passenger services locations. Concessionaires may operate independently or as part of a larger block where several locations operate under one company. When leasing concession space, businesses pay rent to the airport according to their contract terms. The rent payment generally consists of a minimum annual guaranteed amount plus an additional percentage fee based on their sales. In 2021, the concessions operating at the airport brought in gross annual sales of about $386 million and generated $69 million for the airport. Concessionaires are required to submit a financial report each month that details their gross sales and any allowable deductions for items such as employee discounts and sales tax. They then calculate how much it owes in rent based on its reported net revenue, which is gross sales minus deductions. Figure one on page two of the report and here on the slide shows the calculation from gross revenue sales to net revenue. Starting at the bottom of page two of the report, we provide information on Itai's Cafe, the concessionaire reviewed for this audit. Itai's Cafe opened at the airport in November 2012, and the contract was for seven years. The contract then went into holdover status until August of 2021. In September of that year, the airport extended the contract through September of 2024 because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Itai's operates almost 1,500 square feet of concession space in Concourse B and offers food in a full bar. Itai's Cafe is owned by Mission Yogurt Inc., which operates eight other concessions at the airport, as well as restaurants at San Diego International Airport. As shown in table one on page three of the report and here on the slide, Itai's Cafe has reported making on average over four million a year in net revenue since 2019, and it paid over 600,000 a year in rent. The airport's contract with Itai's Cafe contains various key contract terms. These terms define how the cafe should submit its 
its reported revenue to the airport, and how its rent should be calculated. The contract also defines gross revenues and what allowable deductions they can subtract from that reported total. A few of the other key contract terms include one twelfth of the minimum annual guaranteed rent is due on the first of each month. The percentage owed from net sales for food and non-alcoholic beverages depends on the annual sales for the, the vendor takes in. For instance, 10% of net sales for food and non-alcoholic beverages up to $1 million with increasingly higher percentages owed as the sales figures increase. In addition, 17% of net sales are owed for alcoholic beverages. Statements of annual gross revenues are to be prepared and certified by an independent certified public accountant or CPA who has audited the gross revenues in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles. Although this is the term in the contract, in 2008, the airport suspended the requirement for a CPA to certify the statements. An executive of ETIES must self-certify the business's monthly reports and annual revenue statements to attest that they are accurate. ETIES must submit its monthly revenue reports by the 10th of each month, and it must submit its certified annual statements for the previous year by the February 28th. The objective of our audit described on page 28 of the report was to evaluate whether the airport's concessions division provides adequate oversight of the ETIES CAFE concessions contract, including reviewing whether the CAFE is reporting all revenue earned and paying the rented owes to the city based on sales. Our work included reviewing monthly and annual revenue reports, comparing point of sale system data to financial reports, evaluating deductions from gross revenue, and verifying the amounts and timing of the CAFE's payments to the city. We reviewed documentation from July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2022. I will now pause to allow any questions or comments. Any questions from the committee? We'll have should we continue? Yeah, actually, I have a question. Uh, excuse me. This is an audit committee meeting? Yes. And you are? I'm an attorney for uh, ETIES. Um, it, it would have been courteous for you to notify me that you wanted to address the committee. This is a public meeting, isn't it? it it's a public meeting. And a courtesy says that you would have notified me that you wanted to address the committee. So are you denying me the opportunity to address the committee? I'll allow you to address the committee at the appropriate time. Okay, I'll be here. Thank you. Let's continue. Okay. We have one finding which begins on page five of the report. It states Denver International Airport's limited oversight prevents it from knowing whether ETI's CAFE's self-reported revenue is accurate. Within this overall finding, we have four sub-findings that relate to the airport's oversight of the ETI's CAFE concessions contract. The first sub-finding is on pages six through nine of the report. We found that the airport's insufficient monitoring allowed ETI's CAFE to submit non-compliant reports and sometimes with errors. Our report covers the specific issues, but I will highlight a few of these for the purpose of our presentation. The first area is self-certification of reports, which starts on page six. Certifying a concessionaire's annual financial statement is a safeguard meant to ensure the amounts reported to the airport are true and accurate. However, as mentioned earlier, the airport has allowed a lesser standard of only requiring a company officer to self-certify the annual financial statements. The airport's concessions division relies primarily on this self-certification to have insurance that concessionaire's reported revenue is correct. 
Concessions officials said they have discussed reinstating the CPA certification requirement, but concessionaires have objected due to the cost. We found other airports require that certified annual statements be prepared and certified by an independent CPA, and in some cases, thresholds to trigger this requirement depend on a concessionaire's annual revenue. The next area is lack of internal reviews, which is found on page seven of the report. The ETIES contract allows the city to audit the cafe's operations. The concessions division cited this provision as something it uses to ensure the cafe reports its revenue correctly. However, the airport has not conducted any revenue concessions audits in over five years. In addition, concession staff have not reviewed ETI's cafe's point of sale system. Staff said they are considering either a universal or shadow point of sale system that would allow the airport's concessions team to review vendor sales in real time, providing greater ability to verify whether ETI's self-reported revenue is accurate. We also found a concern related to the outdated utilities fee. The contract requires the cafe to pay for all utilities necessary to operate in the space. From 2019 through 2022, ETIES was billed and paid $1,400 per month for its utilities. And we could not determine whether the airport has ever reevaluated that amount since the 10 years the contract was signed. Airport staff said utilities for older contracts, such as this one, are based on an estimated flat rate times the square footage of the lease space. However, the airport provided no documentation showing how the $1,400 monthly charge was calculated, and the person who developed the formula is now retired. The next section on page 8 of the report is that the airport did not ensure ETI's Cafe's certified annual statements were sufficiently detailed and error-free. Specifically, we found the airport did not hold them accountable to ensure it submitted annual statements that complied with the contract terms. The contract requires the CAFE certified annual statements to list the gross revenue sales for the year in addition to all deductions the CAFE subtracted from that reported total. This is crucial for accountability because the resulting net revenue is what the CAFE uses to ultimately calculate the rented O's. We found that for 2019 and 2020, the certified annual statements for ETIs listed only sales tax as a deduction, but information from their point of sale system showed this was not the only deduction. In addition to sales tax, the system reported various amounts of discounts the cafe had subtracted from its gross revenue, which they failed to list in the certified annual statements as required. In 2021, the cafe certified statement listed no deductions at all and presented the reported gross revenue and net revenue as the same amount. When ETI's CAFE submits its certified annual statements without listing all deductions it subtracted out, it violates the format required by the contract and prevents airport staff from having a complete, accurate understanding of the vendor's reported revenue. As a result of these issues, we have four recommendations starting on page nine of the report. I will review the recommendations and then pause to allow questions and comments. The airport's responses in their entirety can be found on pages 25 through 27 of the report. Recommendation 1.1, enforce proper submission of monthly and annual revenue reports. The concessions division should review the revenue submissions from ETI's CAFE to ensure the reports clearly detail all deductions subtracted from gross revenue as required by the contract terms. The airport agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of March 1st, 2023. Recommendation 1.2, 
implement a universal or shadow point of sale system. Mm -hmm. The concessions division should conduct a cost benefit analysis to determine whether using either system to enhance its oversight and ongoing monitoring of concessionaires' revenues is feasible. Again, the airport agreed with this recommendation and noted an implementation date of January 31st, 2023. Recommendation 1.3, determine an accurate utility fee. The concessions division should determine an accurate formula to calculate utilities for Etai's Cafe and adjust billing as necessary. The airport agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of February 1st, 2023. Recommendation 1.4, require a certified public accountant to certify annual statements. The concessions division should consider reinstating the contract requirement. This requirement should either apply to all airport concessionaires or be based on revenue thresholds or other factors as determined by concessions management. The airport disagreed with this recommendation and in their response they indicated to support small businesses they considered continuous feedback from the community about the high cost of annual CPA certifications. Therefore, they've continued to support this change and they retain the right in contractual language to require a CPA certified annual statement at any time for any reason. I'll now pause to allow any questions or comments from the audit committee and airport representatives. Uh, anything from the airport you'd like to add to your responses? Not for me, thank you. No. Questions from the committee? I do. Um, Lorraine? Can, um, could you elaborate a little more on how a universal um, monitoring system would work? Is that, do I understand that to be that then all vendors would be required to use that point of sale system? Anyone? Pam. <laughs> well, and is that the shadow system that no, we're referring there's to? Two. Mm -hmm. There's okay. universal and shadow. I think I understand how shadow works because it would be like. Yes. <laughs> it would translate data into a common language. Um, I can't speak to the suggestion to use a universal point of sale in the recommendation. Um, that would be really difficult. But any the information was provided to us from the airport, either a universal or a shadow point of sale system. And I think they explained it as a universal one would be that it's a system that everyone would report into but that would be very costly so yeah, then you have the shadow system too so they provided us both options as suggestions when we talked about some of the concerns we had identified okay thank you so <clears throat> i have a question so <clears throat> i understand that uh, the oversight the parent company is doing the, the self-certification what assurances do you have that it is accurate and well, that it's accurate. And um, given the past history, just out of curiosity, how well, do you defend it? Uh, well, we trust that a self-certification is a statement, an official statement from our operators that the, the numbers are correct, true and correct. Okay. Yes. And Jack? I'd like to follow up on that. <clears throat> um, let me ask you this, Ms. Sean. Uh, did you understand that the contractors who signed the agreement understood what their obligations were when they signed them? Did I understand that yes. they understood? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, can you explain to me, you know, I know major shopping centers, which are about similar in size to this or larger, have an audit requirement. 
uh, several airports have an audit requirement. Um, I'd like to know the basis on why you believe that self-certification, when all of these other people in the industry don't, is adequate. And keep in mind, from a cost-effectiveness point of view, when you're auditing this, actually, you're different than shopping centers are, in that the city gets sales taxes, so that when you're looking at the, the revenue that comes in, there's the rent, and then there's the sales taxes. So the incentive there is for over 20% if, if there's a shortfall. So if you could explain that, I would very much appreciate it. And what are you asking me? I am asking you on what basis are you an outlier to the rest of the industry? Well, um, I think I will start by saying um, we have an entire finance team. Is there anything that you would like to add about um, when we receive certified annual statements? So with the certified annual statements, um, <clears throat> with the officers of this organization certifying it, we rely on the um, um, authority of those individuals and their positions within their, those organizations. Uh, the cost for doing the having the CPA come in could be detrimental to their overall cost, not just from the certification, but all the other services that they also provide on top of that could cause a, a potential benefit, uh, burden for those concessions. Well, Mike, let me ask you this question. Um, the contractors who are in there all signed an agreement to do this. So I guess my question is, why does, you know, the airport let somebody out of a contract requirement. We don't get let out of contract requirements. The airport doesn't get left out of contract requirements. As a, a perfect example of that is uh, what happened with the Great Hall and phase, you know, with the, the original contractor. You had, the, the airport was required to honor that agreement to the letter, is my understanding. So why do you hold other people not accountable? And I guess the other question I have, in all fairness to you, Mike, and to Heidi, is who's making the decision to let this out? Is in other words, is that your decision, Mike? Is it, so who's making the decision? The decision is made at an executive level um, about all of the items listed. And further, um, we have contractual language that protects us. Um, I don't know if you've, read the agreement or not. Also, when comparing, when using other airports as an example um, for the certified annual statements, you're using airports that have a master concessionaire, so you don't have over 100 different small businesses paying for individual um, annual statements. Is this so. a suggestion on your part that perhaps we should have a master uh, tenant? Not at all. It has well, if that's not the that. case, the agreement says what the agreement says. Okay, and to tell me about an executive team, an amorphous executive team, you're the person who's overall responsible for all the concessions. Yes, I am. So at some point, where does the buck stop? Does it have to go all the way to the mayor? Who, where does the buck stop in terms of enforcing this agreement? Who made the decision? That's all we're asking. It was made um, several years ago 
by our former executive leadership team. Is there an individual that, I mean, you don't have to give the name, but the position yeah. that made this decision? Uh, you know what, I, I would like to follow up with you on that. Ms. Deshaun, I have a quick question, just very quickly. What are the practices with the other, uh, hmm? what, are, what is the uh, standard practice with the other companies that are, the other concessionaires that are operating on the airport? Um, is it a mix in terms of some are, are given a waiver, others in terms of self-reporting versus others that are required to produce an uh, independent statement by a CPA? What is the, the standard practice at this point? All concessionaires are allowed to self-certify. Okay. Ed? Uh, thank you. Um, did you, when did, when did you never require uh, an accounting certification or did it just start how many years ago? 2000, I, I believe it's 2008 that it changed. So it's been quite a while. Um, if you're concerned about cost, um, perhaps you could consider something like a deduction in rent that equals the cost of the accounting. I'm just putting it out there. I think the accounting certification is really important and I understand and admire your goal to help small businesses with the cost. So perhaps there's another way to get at it uh, that allows them to get a deduction. So, but I uh, think the certification yeah. is important. Uh, although uh, I, I've got to disagree. The, the agreement says the rent is what the rent is and whoever signed the agreement agreed to also pay for the audit. And I guess the question is, um, you know, people who use the airport are all paying a tax to the extent there's an additional tax to the extent that the proper rents are not collected because those revenues are used as an offset to the airfield in terms of the competitiveness. Kim Day made a very big deal about you know, how she developed all the retail and expanded it and how it keeps the third largest airport in the country competitive. And it, it's a crown jewel with, I believe, what, over 35,000 people working there. And a lot of the people who use the airport um, are city residents. And so one way or another, it dribbles down to what the fares are because it's basically a commodity. The airline business has become commoditized. I, I'm, I'm just not, <clears throat> I, I just don't understand, you know, why somebody has someone sign a contract and doesn't enforce the contract. And as, as bold-faced as you are, actually smiling and, and saying that to the city, uh, to the citizens of the city and county of Denver watching this. The decision was made a long time ago, not but by I, them, and I'm not saying that I agree with it. I'm saying that if oh they no. have a goal to reduce costs for small businesses, there's another way to do it. My guess is a certification is going to raise revenue more than what the discount they would give for the cost of accountants. That's all. If the airport operates differently from other airports in terms of they don't have master and they have a hundred different small businesses to work with, I think it is different and they have to be creative. That's all I'm saying. And my smiling was not intended to offend you or anyone else. I'm polite. Uh, Leslie. I'm not sure who can answer this question, <laughs> but I understand that Mission Yogurt also has concessions at the San Diego airport. Are they required to do certification for the San Diego airport? Self-certified. I'm so not Tafoya. Self-certified because they too aspire to assist small businesses. The contract doesn't say 
that we required a certification. This goes back to Wellington Webb when he enacted the small business approach to, to doing this. And in fact, this is not just sold to our contract. It's enacted because they found it would cost up to $40,000. Do you know how much $40,000 means to a small business? That's abysmal, that's terrible. So for you to say that this is in the contract and they're overlooking it is completely false. Excuse me, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question, sir. When you signed the contract, did you know you had that obligation? Did you check what the cost was? Wellington Webb, this has not been a requirement. That's what it came to, and it wasn't, it said, it said, if you're a large company, the audit, as you, as I hope you know, there are various types of audits required. Do you know that, Jack? And other airports require large concessionaires, which is a feeble attempt at compliance. If you take one store and a master concessionaire samples one store, it's ridiculous. For $40,000 for a billion dollar company enacting this, it's ridiculous. So either you want to file a- So I think, I think I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask if you would please hold your comments until I recognize you. I'm sorry. And I'm asking, she didn't ask a question of you. That's who my question was directed at. We're not allowed to answer questions that are, you know, the focus of this audit has been ETI. The focus of this audit is, is how the airport is managing contracts, concessionaire contracts. And the answer I have goes to that directly. I think I'd like to again ask you to cooperate and hold your comments until later. I'm expecting an answer, an opportunity to address this panel. Are you going to give me that? I said I would, and I will. Thank you. You're very welcome. Should we continue? So one thing, when we looked at other airports, do they all have a master concession agreement or do some of them not have a master concession? We didn't obtain that information. It was information like from an organization where the questions were asked about requiring a certified annual statement and others responded to that basic question. We didn't then reach out and ask additional questions around this. Okay. Thank you. Let's continue. I'm finding two begins on the bottom of page 10 of the report and states that ETI's cafe self-reported revenues did not comply with the contract and could not be verified. We found that discounts the cafe subtracted from its reported gross revenue did not comply with the contract. The cafe's contract specifies that allowable deductions from its gross revenue include refunds to customers when the original sale was included in gross revenue, advertised discounts, discounts approved in writing by the city, and discounts given to employees who display an airport issued badge when the cafe documents the badge number on the receipt. Airport staff initially said that the general understanding is that airport employees can get a 10% discount at food and beverage concessions so that they have affordable meals during their shifts and stated the amount is not outlined in written policy. But at the end of field work, the airport clarified that this is outlined in the RFP, which we verified. However, we found that ETI's cafe gives discounts ranging from 10 to 100% as shown here on table two found on page 12 of the report. Of the allowable airport 10% discounts we tested, we found the cafe did not follow the contract and record badge numbers on receipts as required. 
ATI's manager said the badge numbers might have been written on the physical receipt, but we could not verify this based on the documentation they provided. The airport did not approve any other discounts in writing, and until we informed them during our audit, airport staff said they were unaware the cafe was subtracting discounts above the general 10% from its gross revenues. Additional information on methodology of testing can be found in the appendix on page 30 of the report. We also found that Itai's Cafe reported many transactions as either discounts or voids interchangeably. When a transaction is discounted, the sales price is reduced, but when a transaction is a void, it is removed from the sales record as if no sale occurred. Airport concession staff have never reviewed Itai's point of sale system or financial data and said it is not a requirement in the agreement for them to perform these tasks. However, the city's executive order number eight outlines the responsibility of city agencies to monitor contract compliance throughout the life of all contracts. Without reviewing Itai's Cafe's point of sale system, the airport cannot evaluate discounted transactions versus voided transactions and assess their validity or whether they comply with the, con the vendor's contract terms. In one example, Itai's staff reported transactions that were 100% product testing as, a both, as both a void and a discount in 2020 but since 2021, we found they recorded only as avoided transaction, as shown here in Table 3 and on page 14 of the report. The airport and Itai's Cafe said the product testing is normal for the food and beverage industry, but because the cafe uses voids and discounts interchangeably in the system, the revenue used to calculate rent paid to the city cannot be verified. In addition to analyzing discounts to try to verify Itai's self-reported revenue, we also reviewed documentation to reconcile the cafe's sales with its bank deposits. Based on the information received, we found unexplained differences in deposits versus sales recorded by the point of sale system. And because of this, we were unable to verify the reported revenue was accurate. Additional point of sale data can be found in appendix beginning on page 31 of the report. Recommendation 1.5 begins on page 18 of the report and states that Denver International's airport's con uh, concession division to develop criteria for what are allowable discounts and include this in concession contracts and its concession handbook. While the airport could allow concessionaires to give any amount of discount, the airport should make it clear that vendors can deduct from their revenues and rent paid to the city only in amount up to the allowable limit. The airport agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of November 1st, 2022. Recommendation 1.6 is also on page 18 of the report and states that Denver International Airport Concession Division should work with the airport's internal audit division to develop a risk assessment and determine steps to regular, regularly monitor concessionaires' revenue. The two divisions should partner to create a plan to conduct regular audits of vendors' self-reported revenue. The airport agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of January 31st, 2023. I will now pause for questions from the audit committee and airport representatives. Any questions from the committee? Mr. Bill, I do have a question. <clears throat> uh, in terms of the amount of time to oversee the self-certification, how much time is being required of the staff to ensure that it, that's taking place? From the accounting end, we get it at, uh, toward the back end of it. So it, they sit there and compare the information to what's been reported into uh, on the monthly basis. So for them, it's probably, I would probably guess about a few hours worth of time. Okay. Um, but with multiple um, um, concessionaires out there. And uh, I'm assuming Pam and your organization, you may also do some additional time on that as well. Again, can you remind me the number of concessionaires at Denver uh, DIA, more or less? 
170, well, a little more than 175 yeah. locations and over 100 okay. concessionaires. Thank you very much. Okay, let's proceed. Subfinding three, beginning on page 18 of the report, states that the airport did not ensure Itai's Cafe paid rent on time and its processes failed to flag interest owed to the city for late payments. The concessions division at the airport does not monitor whether Itai's Cafe is paying its monthly rent on time, and the finance division did not alert concessions that payments were late. Since January 2019, we found 41% of Itai's payments were more than five days late, which violated the terms of the contract. However, because of our audit, the airport and Itai's have taken steps to avoid this issue going forward. The airport's contract requires two rent payments from Itai's each month. The minimum annual guaranteed rent, which is due on the first of each month, and percentage rent, which is an additional charge based on the previous month's sales, is due on the 10th. However, Itai's parent company, Mission Yogurt, had been making one monthly lump sum payment for most of its concessions, including Itai's. The single uh, monthly payment contributed to the rent being late. In response to this finding, the Finance Division asked Mission Yogurt to begin paying twice per month. Mission Yogurt agreed, and we verified with finance that payments for August and September were on time. The contract states that if payments are more than five days late, the airport must charge 18% interest but the airport did not do so on any of the late payments we identified. Finance acknowledged late payments from concessionaires are an issue and they agreed the contract requires the airport to charge interest. But finance said it lacks the resources to track and charge interest. Finance told us their current system of financial record workday doesn't have the functionality to charge interest automatically. Finance decided not to charge interest manually because they said they don't have the resources to do so effectively and efficiently. The airport's inability to charge interest on overdue accounts is an ongoing risk, but the airport is working to address it through an upgrade to its revenue management system called PropWorks. The concessions division was unaware the payments from ETIs were late because the finance division only monitors payments more than 30 days late. Each month, an internal report from the airport's financial system identifies accounts with payments over 30 days late. Finance uses this information to, communi to communicate with other airport divisions about outstanding payments. Finance said it believes this report is an effective control in monitoring payments, but the report failed to catch ETI's payment issues because the payments were not more than 30 days late. Finance said they do not view ETI's late payments as a risk because Mission Yogurt has kept a large credit on its account for the past three years. In 2019, finance staff discovered Mission Yogurt had overpaid its accounts by more than $300,000 over several years. Mission Yogurt chose to keep the overpayment as a credit. As a result, finance said Mission Yogurt was never in a position to default on money owed. Because of the credit, finance officials acknowledged they did not have concerns about Mission Yogurt's accounts. So recommendation 1.7 on page 21 of the report states that concessions should work with finance to ensure ETI's monthly payments are made according to the contract. The agency agrees with this recommendation and set an implementation date of October 1st, 2022. Uh, I'll now open the floor for any questions or comments from the audit uh, committee relating to this recommendation. Last slide. I didn't understand how they could have a $300,000 credit and still be past due. So maybe it's just a silly accounting <laughs> yeah. issue that I don't get. I can answer that. 
Um, thank you very much for your recommendation. We appreciate you looking into that account and identifying the late payments. Um, it is true. Uh, in 2019, we did a full reconciliation of all of the Mission Yogurt accounts. So Mission Yogurt is in Workday under one customer ID. All of their payments go in under that customer ID. Back in 2019, um, we noticed that their account had a very large credit balance on it. And it had to do with the fact that over a period of, I think, uh, I want to say I went back to about 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, they had been actually overpaying their rents. So um, we did a full reconciliation of their account. And I worked with, personally worked with Representative Mission Yogurt to talk about how we were going to resolve that credit balance. They decided to go ahead and keep it on account. They would continue to pay their rents, um, and they would use that credit balance towards other invoices, such as security, parking, um, telecommunications charges. At no point in time over the last several years has that account been in a positive balance. In other words, it's, it's carried a credit balance all this time. Um, we actually do look at these accounts on a monthly basis, and just because on the, amount, on the uh, accounts receivable aging, they don't fall out um, as being past due in the 30-day bucket, that doesn't mean that we're not actually looking at them. Mission Yogurt consistently pay, paid their rents. It is true that upon times they paid them in one lump sum for both the uh, advanced rent as well as the percentage rent, but it was very consistent. So when you look at how to manage accounts receivable at a, you know, a 10,000 foot level, um, you look at the accounts that are not paying you. You look at the accounts that truly are way past due in their rents. And we look at the, at the risk from that standpoint. So from a personal standpoint and from a department standpoint, Mission Yogurt was not an issue for us. However, we did agree that yes, we would like for them to pay their advanced rents, their, their monthly rents based on the minimum annual guarantee at the beginning of the month on the first or before when it's due. And they should also be paying their percentage rents by the 10th of the month when they send us their revenue reports. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, there's $300,000 sitting with the airport, a credit balance of $300,000 sitting with the airport. Does that earn them any interest? No, not at this point. And in fact, it has been utilized at this uh, as of now. I'm sorry. Could you clarify that? Yeah, we've they, we've applied all the payments that they wanted to against outstanding invoices. So I believe at this point, I have to double check the account, but I think that overpayment has been used up. So the credit's gone now at this yeah. point. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that credit, anyways. Okay. Any other questions from the committee? Sonia. Subfinding 4, beginning on page 22 of the report, states that the ETI's contract has been in place for 10 years, limiting opportunities to reevaluate the contract terms. Competitive selection for contracts is important because it ensures the city receives the best value from vendors, including airport concessionaires. However, we learn the airport's contract for ETI's has not been updated or placed out for bid since it was signed in 2012. This limits competition for concessions contracts and goes against Executive Order 8, excuse me, which established contracting procedures for city agencies. Executive Order 8 says contracts are considered one of the highest administrative priorities within the city. The order requires all city agencies to justify contracts with terms longer than three to five years and ensure compliance throughout the life of the contract. 
The order also says formal competitive bidding is advised for concessions contracts. An audit we released earlier this year found concerns with the airport's overall concessions management, including a pattern of concessions contracts staying in place for years uh, without being let out for competitive bid. In the case of ETIs, the airport's original contract with Mission Yogurt to operate the concession expired in November 2019. As shown in Figure 2 on page 23 of the report and on the slide, the city allowed Mission Yogurt to continue operating the concession on a month-to-month -month basis in holdover status from December 2019 through August 2021. Then, because of the pandemic, the airport extended all contracts, including the one for ETIs, by three years beginning September 1st, 2021. Because of this, the ETIs contract now expires uh, on September 1st, 2024. The concessions management audit also found the premium value concessions program allowed some concessionaires to bypass the competitive selection process uh, and continue operating years after their contracts expired. So we recommended the airport discontinue the program because it violated executive order eights, requirement for competitive selections, and had no proven benefit. The airport agreed to discontinue the program in August 2022. That audit also recommended the airport review all contracts in holdover and reevaluate opportunities for new contracts. The airport also agreed with that recommendation. In line with those recommendations, the airport should not wait until 2024 to evaluate the ETI's contract for a competitive bid. Denver has the third busiest airport in the world, which makes concessionaire contracts especially valuable. Comparable U.S. airports in Houston and San Francisco said they believed incentive programs are unnecessary because concessions contracts are so lucrative. Because these airport contracts are so valuable, being able to operate at the airport should be incentive enough for vendors to perform well. The prior audit also found uh, the airport could potentially earn more revenue when changing concessionaires. Other major airports, including McCarran Airport in Las Vegas and Minneapolis-St. Paul, uh, reported increased revenues when they changed concessions. Our recommendations from that prior audit are still important because competitive selection ensures the airport receives the best value. Because the concessions division already agreed to evaluate held-over contracts for competitive bidding, the ETI's contract should be part of that evaluation. So recommendation 1.8 on page 24 of the report states that the concessions division should work with the contracts director to review the contract for competitive bidding in line with executive order eight uh, before the current extension expires. The agency agrees with this recommendation and set an implementation date of October 24th, 2022. Uh, that concludes our presentation. I'll now open the floor for any questions or comments from the audit committee or auditees. Questions, comments? <clears throat> okay. Thank you very much. Um, public comments. If you would be kind enough to introduce yourself, and I trust that three minutes would be enough time. Three minutes, not even close. So I'm Steve Perfriman, Brian K. Bladen Paisner. I represent Mission Yogurt, I represent ETIs. And I have a few comments and a few questions, in fact. I'd like to know how much this audit cost. I think we'll have to get back to you on that. Are you going to get back to me on that? Uh, I'll get back to you if I have some contact information from you. Again, that would have been appropriate for you to have contacted my office in advance so we could have this conversation. What, what do you mean by that? I'm sorry, I don't understand. 
this is a public forum. I'm a public commenter. I'm representing somebody who's a member of the public who is directly you know, impacted by this report. And I asked in advance that you give me a copy of this report so we could respond to it before it was issued. I was denied that request. So why is it inappropriate for me to now have a conversation with you about the inefficiencies, the inaccuracies, and the garbage in your report? Does that conclude your comments? It doesn't even start. Well, you got two minutes. Two minutes. Great. So uh, let's talk about this. Executive Order 8. When was that enacted? Do you even know? Uh, it's been in existence for a long time, but I can't give you an exact date. Do you know when the PBC program was enacted? I could not give you an exact Do you know date. No. Do you know that, in fact, the uh, participants, including ETIs, that had to participate in the PBC program received a PBC amendment to their agreements? Did you know that? You didn't. Do you know who approved the PBC amendment? Do you know there was the mayor? Do you know it was the city council? Do you know there was the auditor, your predecessor, that you're now complaining about these PBC agreements that result in a, in, in, in a, a uh, additional term for those that qualified for it, who proved themselves worry, worthy, did you know that the, your predecessor approved it? There's nothing in here to talk about that. You didn't reference that. That's important. Because this is a 20. valid program it's on page enacted 23. by the city. It's on page 23, all the information about the PBC. It's on page 23. Well, let's talk about that then. So you've got about five seconds. Can you wrap it up? You know it's garbage. You're just going after your ties because it's convenient. You don't understand. Okay, that concludes, understand that concludes the briefing on Denver International today. Airport's E-Ties Cafe. Months ago when I asked for it in draft form and now you're going to limit me to three minutes. This is ridiculous. Thank you for your comments. I want to take my three minutes. So, and and you would like to introduce yourself, please? I'm Rod Tapoy. You know me. We've met before. I know. So, so for the record, I'd like you to introduce yourself. For the record, I'm Rod Tapoy, recovering my time. Your reference to uh, Las Vegas, master concessionaire, Minneapolis, ma master concessionaire, irrelevant for any sort of comparison. That's the first thing. PBC was enacted as an ordinance. And that's not referenced in here. It says that we're taking advantage of it. We earn this. And as a small business, we earn every single cent that we pay to the airport. I don't know what this is, but it's nothing but a farce. This entire report, picking on one concessionaire, singled out, this is not representative of the airport, not representative of the entire program. You picked this as a tactic, strategic tactic to launch your political career as mayor, and it's bullshit. Does that conclude your comments, sir? 
you know it's true. See what happens. And anybody but that supports this Jack. can see through this farce. It's nothing but a farce, and you know it. Any other comments from the public? Any other comments from the audit committee? Uh, sir, um, I having been on this audit committee, um, the way I read the report <clears throat> is perhaps uh, somewhat different than uh, you and uh, Mr. Perferman have uh, taken it. Uh, I think my understanding and um, Ms. Wiseman and uh, Mr. O'Brien, correct me if I'm wrong, that this was an audit that was undertaken to, f to find out what was being done in terms of audits. So I, I never view this as uh, anything personal towards ETIs. I don't believe that the failure to have an audit is necessarily uh, indicia that says that there's anything that ETIs has signed and has agreed to um, is false in any way, shape, or form. We're talking about process. And it, it would be my guess uh, that when you consider the number of contracts out at the airport, uh, literally what the auditor, audit uh, division did was they picked a vendor who happened to have 10 stores as opposed to one that had only one. And there's nothing more or less to that. And I would appreciate, you know, for the, for the record, um, if I'm corrected, if that's not the case. No, no, that is the case. I mean, this audit isn't any different <clears throat> than us picking a construction contract to look at or a grant audit contract to look at. That's not any different than this one. And the audit was of Denver International Airport's ability to oversee and monitor this contract. And I think in the report, we do describe the process we went through to ultimately identify a contract. Correct. So, so with that, we're going to conclude this uh, meeting. We're going to conclude this meeting. The next item on our agenda is a report briefing on solid waste management division and the residential trash recycling compost. So I will, I will ask the sheriff to Thanks. come up here if that's necessary. All right, Dawn, are you ready to kick this one off? I am ready, thank you. Right. <laughs> um, just a few words before we get started and I hand it over to the team to introduce themselves and then to our guests. 
Um, the audit, I think the audit is timely and an important one for the city as they plan to implement their volume, uh, volume based pricing model for residential waste recycling and composting. As the city moves to this new model, the audit has shed some light on areas that need to improve to ensure residents receive the services that they will be paying for. And without the appropriate staff, inspectors, and equipment, you know, Solid Waste Management Division may struggle to meet um, the service delivery needs as well as their goals regarding climate change. The team's going to brief you on the findings and recommendations that expand on these areas um, needing improvement and offer some recommendations to assist on the division as they move forward with the volume-based pricing model. <clears throat> so I'll hand it over to Carol to introduce the team. Good morning, auditor and committee members. My name is Carol Dashlett, and I'm the manager for the residential trash recycling and compost audit that we're presenting this morning. I'm joined by Tyson Fassone, lead auditor. We're joined today by several representatives from the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure. Would you please introduce yourselves to the committee? Good morning. Um, my name is Margaret Mevayin. I serve as the deputy manager for the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure. I oversee the Utilities Administration, uh, which includes the Solid Waste Management Division. And I'll let um, my team introduce themselves. Thank you, Margaret. Nicholas Williams, deputy manager, internal external affairs, and I'll be representing our executive director, Adam Phipps, who I think due to the weather is stuck uh, in <laughs> Memphis right now. So I'll do my best, yeah. Hi, I'm uh, Richard V. I'm the interim director of Solid Waste, so I see the overall operations of Solid Waste. Well, good morning, and uh, I hope this is a less contentious conversation than the previous one, but uh, let's continue. Okay. I'd like to extend my thanks on behalf of the mm. team to the personnel at the department for whom we worked with um, and that who responded to our various requests. It was a pleasure to work with all of you. As shown, on, as shown beginning on page one of the report, both the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure and the Office of Climate Action, Sustainability and Resiliency have roles related to trash recycling and compost programs and waste diversion for the city and county of Denver. The two agencies operate independently. The department's Solid Waste Management Division provides trash recycling and compost services to many city households. The Fleet Management Division oversees the waste collection trucks and the department's performance office aids leadership in assessing service delivery and maximizing performance. The city's Office of Climate Action, Sustainability and Resiliency was established by ordinance in November 2019, and this office manages the city's goals to address climate change and collaborates with city agencies and stakeholders to reduce waste and to divert recycling and compostable materials from the landfill. In all, the city provides trash and recycling service to about 180,000 households consisting of single-family homes, apartment buildings and townhomes with seven or fewer units, as well as services for city-owned buildings and Denver Public Schools facilities. About 30,000 of these households participate in optional compost service for a monthly fee of $9.75. Further, among other duties, the Solid Waste Management Division responds to reports of illegal dumping not associated with encampments of unhoused individuals in the city. The table on page three of the report shows the division's 2022 budget is 25 million, and this is down from about 26.9 million two years ago. 
The city's general fund is the source of funding for residential waste collection services provided by the division. The city has three contractors for the disposal and processing of collected materials. Trash is disposed of at the city-owned landfill, which is operated by Waste Management LLC. Recycling is taken to the GFL environmental facility where the materials are sorted and then sold. The city reported making a profit from the sale of recycled materials since February of 2021. Lastly, compostable materials are moved to A1 Organics for processing. Finished compost is then sold by local vendors. Just this past June 2022, the Denver City Council passed an ordinance to begin volume-based pricing for trash pickup. This is also commonly known as pay-as-you-throw. This will be a change from the current service, which is paid for by the city's general fund. The Solid Waste Management Division intends for the program to be self-sufficient by collecting fees from residents. On page five of the report, figure two shows city council's approval of volume-based pricing came after more than a decade of community discussion about implementing a waste collection fee for city residents. The program begins in January 2023 and will affect the 180,000 households serviced by the city. A volume-based pricing program shifts the cost of weekly trash pickup from the general fund directly to residents based on the size of the cart a resident chooses, while weekly recycling and composting services will be included at no extra charge. The city hopes this will incentivize residents to recycle and compost more. Under this concept, the smaller the trash cart, the lower the monthly fee. Specifically, a 35-gallon cart will cost $9, a 65-gallon cart will cost, six, will cost $13, and a 95-gallon cart will cost $21. To prepare for the change, the Solid Waste Management Division will work to educate residents about the new pricing model as well as proper recycling and composting practices and the division is creating an instant rebate affordability program to help lower income residents with the new fees. Finance staff from the department said the program will use a special revenue fund for the first 10 years to provide general fund support that is necessary for financial stability and because some division services are not funded by the new waste collection fees. Carol, uh, forgive me for interrupting, but do I have a 95 gallon container? <laughs> <laughs> We can, we can check and see. And well, it's the same size as everybody else's on the street, but <laughs> it's a 95-gallon. Okay. It's probably, well, I don't know. It might be the medium. I think it's a 60. Because I've got, compared to my neighbor, and I don't know where it came from, but I got the huge one. And I want to know how to get rid of it so I don't have to pay for it starting next month. I think my the neighbor sitting right next yeah. to you might know. No. <laughs> yeah, but that's I, another, think I have another question about the communication <laughs> later. So. <laughs> Well, I, I called 311, and uh, I, I do have to say, while I'm not too happy about the sad attacks, um, I, I thought the way the lady handled it gave me uh, uh, a number of the requests, sent an email uh, telling me when to put my old can out. I thought it was, uh, if it gets picked up, as they say, um, I, I want to commend you. That part of the implementation is okay. The base part of the added tax is a different story. Thank you. Well, we digress. No, I, I agree. <laughs> I just want to say the same thing. I got, I'm a composting customer. I got an email, told me how to switch my cart. It was awesome. So 
Thank you. And, and thank you for being an early adopter of the program. Oh, I'm all for it. Well, we're just, we're just trying to uh, keep the rent mind, lower. I don't mind the fee. Well, I also want to say <clears throat> a thank you, but also want to have, I have some misgivings, but not all that much. For example, someone illegally dumped trash in my, one of my <clears throat> rentals down in Glowville. I reported it. You folks said, don't get involved. Don't report the other guy because <laughs> you'll get in trouble. Avoid him. So, because I had an idea who was doing it, but I said, I'm not going to dime on anybody. Or <laughs> so as a result, you did pick it up on a timely basis. Now, my residential home, which is here in Denver, uh, you moved the date one day earlier, and it's causing some problems. You know, I'm leaving out the trash an extra day or two. <laughs> but it does get picked up, so I'm happy. I think it's the 65-gallon that we all have. Okay. Let's anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Should we continue to go around the world? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I am taking notes. issues. Anyway. Carol? <laughs> All right, then. Um, the objective of our audit was to assess how efficiently and effectively the city is ensuring timely trash, recycling, and compost service for residents and is reducing illegal dumping in city neighborhoods. Further, we sought to evaluate how effectively the city is achieving its environmental goals and improving recycling rates. We conducted our audit work between February and July of 2022, a period of great transition for the division. During this time, we reviewed the controls and processes that the division had for providing residential trash, recycling, and compost services, as well as the division's response to illegal dumping in the city. We also evaluated the division's fleet resources, staffing levels, and related overtime costs, and how the division prepared for and communicated upcoming changes to its trash recycling and compost collection services, which will begin in 2023. I will now hand it over to Tyson, who will present findings one and two. Thank you, Carol. Found on page eight of the report, our first finding is the Solid Waste Management Division lacks strategic direction and quality data to inform how it provides services to residents. We found the Solid Waste Management Division is heading into the volume-based pricing program and service expansion without adequate guidance, reliable data, or documented decision-making to support its current operations. The division does not have a detailed strategic plan or written policies and procedures to support efficient and effective service, and we learned solid waste management officials did not keep important documentation about the design of new service routes that began in early 2022. We also found the division used flawed data to measure how well it responds to residents' complaints and service requests. Without these fundamental elements, solid waste management lacks guidance and strategic direction for its day-to-day -day operations, and there is no connection to long-term goals and objectives the division means to achieve. Lastly, officials may have difficulty in assessing the division's effectiveness and maintaining continuity of operations. Some finding one of our first finding, city priorities for waste diversion shifted, leaving the Solid Waste Man Management Division without specific strategic guidance for city services. In 2010, the city laid out its long-term vision for managing trash, recycling, and compost services in a plan that had strategies focused on the Solid Waste Management Division. However, the plan, updated 12 years later, has broader priorities that left the Solid Waste Management Division without current operational guidance, goals, and objectives. 
Further, the Solid Waste Management Division does not have active and current policies and procedures relevant to specific aspects of its operations. The absence of these governing documents does not align with federal leading practices for effective governance. The Environmental Protection Agency recommends that organizations responsible for managing waste collection have system policies for the organization and operational policies specific to routes, staffing, and management. Without this documentation, it is more difficult for the division to assess how effective it is, and it may face challenges in maintaining continuity in its operations, especially when key staff leave. I will present our two recommendations before pausing for questions and comments from audit committee members or our agency guests. Therefore, on page 10, our first recommendation 1.1, the Solid Waste Management Division should develop a strategic plan that identifies specific objectives, goals, and needs of the division with particular focus on its role to deliver services to residents. The agency agreed with our recommendation and provided a target completion date of December 31st, 2023. Recommendation 1.2, the Solid Waste Management Division should develop an internal control framework that includes a comprehensive set of detailed and documented policies and procedures at both the system and operational levels. Such policies and procedures should include, at a minimum, level of service policies, route policies, and cost accounting policies. The agency agreed with our recommendation and provided a target completion date of December 31st, 2023. I will now pause for any questions and comments. Uh, if go I ahead. could. Yeah, first, I want to thank the audit committee and um, audit staff. Um, you know, certainly having someone take a critical eye of our operations and challenging us and, and also at times validating the direction we're going, it's, it's very. Um, important for us as we improve and, and continually try to improve the services to the community. So I want to thank you. And um, as you'll see as we go through this, we did agree with the findings of the audit committee, although we didn't agree at all times with the opinions and the correlations made within the report. Now, I do want to note the audit took place between February um, and July of 2022. Now this was a period not only of great transition, as was discussed, but also great disruption as the Omicron variant surged and further strained our ability to provide core services. In fact, the city's EOC was activated due to this COVID emergence um, from January 11th to 20, from the January 11th to the 24th of 2022. And we started our new routes on January 3rd of 2022. And at that time, we had 14 drivers out with COVID. Um, so the DOTI team quickly mobilized and we pulled CDL drivers from wastewater and streets to step in and fill those gaps. You know, but, but these are some of the realities of this period. Um, and, and really, we do not see the delays in service, the additional need for overtime to be um, a, a result of the reroute, but rather a result of this Omicron surge. Um, on the contrary, we think the reroute provided a much needed refresh of our operations. Um, I don't think a map of the old routes was included in the audit report, but it is in other documents we've shared um, on the reroute. And it is clear just from the visual review of the map that the routes developed over the years did not take into account the changing city. Um, in addition, the reroute restructured operations around districts. Um, so we now have one supervisor responsible for all operations within that district. So we have a, a more streamlined approach um, to provide improve customer service. Um, 
You know, we also agree that the routes uh, should be routinely reviewed and, and well documented. Um, and um, you know, it may surprise you to learn that solid waste still currently uses paper maps. Um, we agree that resources are needed to modernize our operations, and we're currently in the process of modernizing and implementing in-cab navigation software. So, you know, we, we really um, agree with these findings and, um, and also want to include, and it's, it's in, our, um, in our responses, that this new software will not only improve the uh, in-cab navigation, but also the quality of our data collection and enable us to provide better and more timely customer service. Uh, thank you. And to the recommendations, I mean, to develop a strategic plan, internal controls, any absolutely, Absolutely. We, <clears throat> we do agree with all of those. We do currently have a business plan that we are um, reviewing, and we're going to revamp it and, and make it more robust. Um, in addition, we've also added staff to support Solid Waste. We have an office of strategic analytics now that's really devoted um, within our administration to help our operational teams collect data and use that data to improve operations. We also have a senior manager of policy and strategy that we've added to the team. And one thing that we are um, currently doing that we're uh, excited about and we think is really going to help us um, build this framework to get to a place we need to be that to that vision is we are currently undergoing a American Public Works Association, APWA accreditation process. And this is a, a very detailed process um, where we'll go through all our policies and procedures, fill gaps, and then have that framework in place so that we will have an accreditation to show that we are um, meeting industry best practices. Rudy? Yes. <clears throat> I might be getting ahead of myself, and I apologize if I am. How are you going to deal with the two main issues that I read in the report, aging vehicle fleets, and number two, the uh, staffing shortages? Because it seems to be, what are you, just a brief overview of those, how are you going to address those two problems, please? Certainly. Um, and, and definitely when we uh, went through the pandemic and actually had to go through three rounds of budget cuts, you know, resulting, and when you see the reduction, um, in, in our budget overall from, you know, 27 million to 24 million. You know, those were cuts that were um, um, as a result of, of the great budget cuts that we saw during the pandemic years. Um, as a part of that, we had uh, hiring freezes. We actually had some truck orders that were canceled um, because we didn't have the funds. We're, now as we're coming out of the pandemic, um, we are working. Uh, we do have fleets on order. We're expecting them um, next year. And, um, you know, we are still seeing some supply chain shortages. Things are getting better. But we do have trucks on order. We have, we actually have vendors that are coming on site to help us augment our staff to help repair trucks. Um, you know, not only has solid waste seen um, impacts to labor shortage, but our fleet techs have as well. Um, so we've got a lot of mitigation strategies that we put in place to augment staff, to bring vendors in for support. We were also using third-party recruiters to help us locate those CDL drivers. Um, and that's um, an effort that's been very successful. I know uh, um, Rich Villa, Director Villa, uh, and his team 
are very aggressively uh, searching um, to, to fill these very needed um, positions. We've also been working with OHR. We have uh, signing bonuses in place right now. We've also worked to provide, we now have a new designation for solid waste operators. So we are now able, better able to, and, and I think the audit pointed out that we really were not um, me meeting industry um, standards in our pay. And, and by having this new classification that's just specific to solid waste, we're now going to be better able to, um, to match um, pay with, with industry standards. Thank you, Ms. Middle. Nick? And if I may just to add on to that, yeah, just to, to reinforce what Margaret said on the staffing side, because certainly solid waste, Dottie as a whole, was not immune to the great resignation over the past few years. But I, I really am... Uh, as a department, we have made a very concerted effort to pull every pay lever we can. So Margaret mentioned um, uh, recruiting bonuses, so $5,000 recruiting bonuses, trying to stay competitive with that. Also using retention bonuses, and that's something relatively new that occurred uh, this year, uh, and we've certainly taken advantage of that. Uh, as well as Margaret talked about utilizing to supplement HR's recruiting activities, also using um, uh, uh, separate headhunters to go out and very aggressively uh, approach, almost as aggressive as our previous staff hanging out outside of waste management, saying, hey, who likes attention? Uh, but also really, and really have invested much more into our uh, position marketing uh, on that. So this is, this is, you hit on A1 and A2, fleet and staff, and these are things we, we track every single day at this point, understanding it's the critical point to get this done. Thank you for the update, appreciate it. So we've kind of jumped around a little bit and um, this might make the uh, rest of the report a little bit easier to go through, but okay. let's continue. Stolen a little of my thunder, <coughs> but it's all yes. right. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I will now continue with finding ones, uh, finding one, sub finding two. This is found on page 11 <coughs> of the report. The solid waste management division cannot support recent changes to routes and pickup schedules and it uses flawed data to measure performance. In January 2022, the Solid Waste Management Division changed residents' pickup schedules and added new routes. But in our work, we learned the division did not keep documentation to support how it made these changes, and evidence shows the changes affected the consistency of residents' pickup services. As seen in Figure 3 on page 12 of the report, our analysis of data from Denver's 311 information system shows residents' reports of missed waste pickups spiked in January 2022 and reports of missed service have generally been on the rise since early 2021. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, routes may be optimized using software applications or by hiring a consultant, and optimized routes can help reduce staffing, operations, and transportation costs. We learned new routes were designed with software, but the information was not retained from a recently retired employee. We also could not identify anyone responsible for uh, continuously evaluating the service route's impact on the division's operational efficiency. Federal guidance says documentation should provide a means to retain and communicate organizational knowledge to those who may need it, such as new staff. Continued on page 15 of the report, with support from the Transportation and Infrastructure's Performance Office, the Solid Waste Management Division implemented a level of service metric that represents the time it takes between when a resident makes a request or complaint and when the division resolves it. To ask questions or submit requests, Denver residents use various channels, including calls to Denver's 311 or online. We found how a resident makes their request affects how it is categorized and tracked in the division's performance dashboard. For example, 
for reports of a missed pickup and illegal dumping, the performance dashboard displays different categories and different level of service results. Because the same service request was measured separately with inconsistent results, the division does not have an accurate picture of how well it responds to residents' requests. The U.S. Government Accountability Office says the ability to respond to unexpected events or poor performance typically depends on reliable data and managers should use such quality information to make informed decisions and evaluate how staff are achieving key objectives in addressing risks. These monitoring and evaluation activities provide value by informing decisions to change or eliminate practices that do not work and by strengthening practices that yield positive results. Such knowledge further aids stakeholders in minimizing the challenges and loss of knowledge from eventual staff turnover. We have two recommendations I will present before pausing for questions and comments. Recommendation 1.3. The Solid Waste Management Division should follow guidance from the Environmental Protection Agency and develop a standard process for routinely reviewing route efficiency. This should include documenting the data the division uses and the steps it takes to develop new route designs based on its review process. The agency agreed with our recommendation and provided a target completion date of May 31st, 2023. Recommendation 1.4. The Department of Transportation and Infrastructure should coordinate guidance and training across all customer service teams and systems, including Denver's 311 program, Denver Utilities Online, and PocketGov, to establish consistent data entry and case management practices and ensure performance dashboards report accurate, reliable data for informed decision making. The agency agreed with our recommendation and provided a target completion date of September 30th, 2023. I will again uh, pause for questions and comments. Margaret? I think I got ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've already provided our comments. I think so too. Any questions from the committee? Only because we started this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's continue. You bet. <coughs> Finding two begins on page 18 of the audit report. We found the Solid Waste Management Division has insufficient resources to collect residential waste, respond to illegal dumping, and support its <coughs> other work. The Solid Waste Management Division has a critical role in serving the community. However, we found the division operates with a fleet of unreliable aging vehicles and there are not enough drivers to run all pickup routes. Because of this lack of resources, drivers work mandatory overtime to complete their routes and they rely on equipment that is more costly to maintain. The division's response to reports of illegal dumping relies on limited inspection and support staff and the division has no staff assigned to teach residents about proper recycling and composting. In the first of two sub-findings, the Solid Waste Management Division's trucks are aging, costly, and unreliable. The Department of Transportation and Infrastructure estimates the useful life of the city's waste collection trucks is eight years. And the age and condition of the current fleet is a concern because waste collection trucks are high-maintenance vehicles that incur in expensive repair costs. An older fleet is less reliable, requires more maintenance hours, and results in more time when trucks are out of service. As shown in Table 2 on page 19 of the report, report excuse me, we found that about 60% of the division's waste collection trucks have about one-third or less of their remaining estimated useful life. For more detail on our audit analysis, see Appendix A. This is page 47 of the audit report. In a presentation to City Council in May 2022, city officials described the waste collection trucks as being in critical need of replacement and they reported then that an aged fleet costs the city more money to maintain and impacts operations. 
Despite awareness of the extra costs, officials gave us no documentation to demonstrate how their current replacement planning or purchasing supports maintaining the city's fleet within its useful life. In the meantime, some of Denver's waste collection drivers told us there are not enough trucks in good operating condition to run all scheduled routes, and they experienced equipment failures that prevented them from finishing a scheduled route. Transportation and infrastructure officials said the fleet management division is responsible for replacement planning in collaboration with solid waste management, but the city's finance department and the budget and management office also have roles in planning for and approving fleet purchases. We identified City Council approved two capital leases for the purchase of vehicles deemed essential to city operations. One capital lease in 2014 included the purchase of 43 waste collection trucks, and another in 2022 included 25 trucks. Despite these batch purchases, the city faces a backlog of aged assets, and we identified no evidence to confirm the department is requesting funds to strategically replace its waste collection trucks. To avoid such a backlog, the city's goal should be to spread out replacement using a standard budget to replenish fleet assets periodically. With the transition to a special revenue fund and an established budget for truck replacements as part of the fees collected under the volume-based pricing model, the division should collaboratively develop a fleet replacement schedule to avoid a future backlog of waste collection trucks. We have one recommendation I will present before pausing for questions and comments. Recommendation 2.1, the Solid Waste Management Division should work with the Department of Finance and the Fleet Management Division to develop a documented fleet replacement schedule that ensures long-term fleet reliability and regular staggered replacement of aged trucks to ensure efficient delivery of waste collection services. Once it develops this schedule, Solid Waste Management should develop and, develop and implement procedures to follow it, including monitoring and oversight. The agency agreed with our recommendation and provided a target completion date of June 30th, 2023. I'll now pause for questions and comments. Margaret? And we agree with that recommendation and also just want to, you know, again, provide the context of, you know, the, the era that, that this audit was done in and the, you know, real, really dire circumstances we were under, um, you know, not just here in Denver, but at the industry in general. But um, you know, we are um, uh, hopeful that now that we're going to have our own um, SRF, that we will be able to manage our fleet um, within our SRF rather than as a collective in the general fund. So um, we, we agree with that recommendation. Why a special revenue fund and not an enterprise fund? There, there are a lot of uh, legal implications to that, and, and um, Zach Cartaya. Our director of finance, I think, can provide us a. Yeah, if you could introduce yourself. And yeah, Zach Cartaya, <coughs> financial director for Dottie. Thank Thanks so much for the time this morning. Um, the reason that we went with a, a special revenue fund as opposed to an enterprise fund is it's really just standard practice. Um, EQ, the Environmental Quality Enterprise Fund, along with our Wastewater Enterprise Fund, both started as special revenue funds. Um, it allows us to build the history of financials so that we can transition to an enterprise fund, and that history of financials will then allow us to make debt issuances if needed um, and operate a little more efficiently. On the back end, there are TABOR limits around an enterprise fund where the general fund can only contribute so much to that enterprise fund and with this being a new program and a pilot program, we need that backing that if for some reason the financial's off, we hit some sort of financial emergency, some sort of catastrophe hits, the SRF can be supplemented by the general fund in order to ensure ongoing um, operations. Well, and our plan is mm -hmm. to transition to an enterprise fund eventually. 
And eventually, could you put a number around the number of years? We're hopeful around? within the first five years, but again, okay. we have to see how this rolls out. Um, right now, our projections are that we will see about a 20% swap in, or I'm sorry, yes, about a 20% swap in cart sizes. Um, but if that's exceedingly low, um, it is comparable to other municipalities that have taken on a volume-based pricing or a pay-as-you-throw program. But if that is low, there's an impact to revenues, and then we kind of have to rethink and reset. But if we are similar to comparable municipalities, we should find ourselves in an advantageous place to transition to an enterprise fund within the first five years. And hasn't Denver exempted itself from TABOR revenue restrictions? Not on enterprise funds. They're treated as a business. And so with that business model around them, they're held, right? It's all about the bottom line for the enterprise fund itself. And so for the condition of the enterprise, we are held to those, those standards. Same with an SRF. They're independent business units and there's different models around them. So for example, a, a, an SRF cannot collect more than 8% of what um, it charges for a service on a given point. And that's a taper rule as well. So we have to be aware of those. Okay. Sleep back in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we continue? Yes. Finding two, sub-finding two, this is found on page 22 of the report. The Solid Waste Management Division does not have enough drivers or other support staff. <clears throat> the Solid Waste Management Division lacks sufficient staff for basic program operations, including enough drivers for its service routes. As of June 2022, the division had a 21% vacancy rate among waste collection drivers. The number of driver vacancies could nearly double next year after the city implements its new pricing model for trash pickup. The program will need another 24 drivers to meet the demands of expanded recycling and compost services. Because of this persistent staffing shortages, solid waste management officials said that starting in October 2021, they made overtime mandatory for waste collection drivers when it was necessary to complete scheduled routes. In analyzing the division's overtime costs for trash and recycling services, we found the division on track for more than 1.5 million in overtime costs by year's end, as shown in figure six on page 24. Without enough staff, the Solid Waste Management Division cannot provide reliable trash, recycling, and compost service at existing service levels. And we found the division did not conduct an analysis of its capacity to provide the additional services included in the new program as recommended by federal guidance. Two factors have contributed to the city's shortage of available drivers, a competitive labor market for individuals with a commercial driver's license, and higher wages that private companies often pay. To address the driver shortage, the city participates in recruiting events, offers a $5,000 bonus for new drivers, and the department plans to leverage a temporary change to the city's career service rules, allowing a retention bonus up to $5,000 when COVID-19 related staffing shortages impact essential services. By not yet having resolved the persistent vacancy rate among its drivers, Denver's Solid Waste Management Division is at risk for even more understaffing when it expands recycling and compost services in January 2023. City inspectors address illegal dumping, and the division defines illegal dumping as abandoned trash with no signs of nearby human activity. Other city agencies are responsible for addressing illegal dumping where human activity is present, such as in encampments of people experiencing homelessness. To address instances of illegal dumping, three of the division's four positions were filled as of July 2022. Here, we have two photos showing reports of illegal dumping in the city and county of Denver. 
To respond to the largest illegal dumping sites, inspectors rely on drivers to work overtime on Fridays, and this delays the response to some reports. But as the Environmental Protection Agency explains, if not addressed, the associated health risks, including hazardous chemicals and sharp objects, are significant concerns for residents. Federal research says volume-based pricing models may initially increase illegal dumping, but maintained educational programs inform the community about the new system and avoid an ongoing problem. This research also shows the uh, effective illegal dumping programs require support from senior officials and sufficient resources for inspection, cleanup, and prevention. Previously, the Solid Waste Management Division had seven staff designated for program support, specifically to work closely with inspectors on efforts to address contaminated recycling and compostable material and to educate the public. These staff members created marketing materials to promote recycling in the community, printed and handed out flyers, audited recycling carts to identify contamination, and left notes for homeowners and followed up with them. But when city leaders created the Office of Climate Action, Sustainability, and Resiliency, those seven employees were transferred to that office. For communication and outreach activities, the division made plans to hire an administrator, contract with community organizations, and leverage other city resources. However, by the time we completed our audit work, the division had yet to define the intended roles and responsibilities for these partners to include tasks associated with managing contaminated recycling or compost carts. Furthermore, when the division hired consultants to determine the total cost of providing solid waste services and to design rates for the new program, the study included no research into the sufficiency of staffing levels for the division's operations. <coughs> Division officials said drivers and inspectors are responsible for identifying contamination, but neither party is able to spend significant time looking for contamination in residents' recycling and composting carts. Still, under the volume-based pricing ordinance, transportation and infrastructure became legally responsible for enforcing unlawful disposal of trash in recycling or compost carts. However, department officials have told city council members they prefer to educate residents first instead of penalizing them. <coughs> Leading practices support having robust public education efforts and recommend enforcement to reduce instances of contamination. The State Department of Public Health and Environment similarly says education and communication are key to managing contaminated material. Without adequate education and communication efforts, Denver's new volume-based pricing model may lead to increased contamination in recycling and compost carts, and the division may not be able to provide the education necessary to achieve the highest possible amount of waste diverted from the landfill. As we discuss in finding three, these constraints are likely to worsen with the planned implementation of volume-based pricing and the expanded recycling and compost services that are part of the new program. Found on page 30 of the report, we have three recommendations for finding two, sub-finding two. I will th uh, go through each before pausing for additional questions and comments. Recommendation 2.2. The Solid Waste Management Division should determine how many drivers, inspectors, and program support staff it needs to ensure continuity of operations and provide the additional services required by the city's new volume-based pricing model. Such an analysis should consider how many staff are needed to complete all routes as scheduled, how many inspectors are needed to provide adequate coverage for all areas of the city, and how many staff or contractors are needed to replace the efforts of the staff who were transferred to the Office of Climate Action, Sustainability and Resiliency in 2020, as well as to cover expanded service needs for education and outreach under volume-based pricing. Recommendation 2.3, after, implement, after implementing Recommendation 2.2, 
the Solid Waste Management Division should define and document roles and responsibilities for inspectors and program support staff related to addressing cart contamination and, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> and responding to illegal dumping. Recommendation 2.4, if the Solid Waste Management Division will rely on other city agencies or third-party contractors to provide program support for education and outreach related to the volume-based pricing program, the division should draft memoranda of understanding or otherwise document such agreements to define the roles and responsibilities to be carried out by such parties. The agency agreed with all three recommendations with a planned implementa implementation date of December 31st, 2022. I will pause to answer questions on these three recommendations or to answer remaining questions on finding two. Margaret, any additional comments? Um, so I'll just add some context. Um, so our volume-based pricing um, initiative, um, it, it was uh, signed by the mayor in late June of 2022, and this audit did conclude in July. So I think that there was a lot of work that has been done since the audit concluded um, that isn't captured here. So you know, there, we've got a, a citywide team that's working on you know, billing system. We've got a working group that's looking at the education plan, the outreach, communications. Um, so I, I just want the, the committee to, to know that um, there has been quite a bit of work done since the conclusion of the audit. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Florine? Well, to that point, um, as someone who has stood in a public place in front of three receptacles and tried to figure out which one, my paper cup and my allegedly compostable plate went into, I've got to tell you, you've got some work to do as far as consumer education. So that said, um, my concern is, is that, and I'll have to ask, also add the caveat, we have also had some trouble with our mail delivery, so I'm not sure if the following is true, but has there only been one postcard sent out to uh, residents about this program, and was that in about July? And did it not, not tell you how you got a smaller trash can and or how one was going to be educated about composting? I'm going to ask our program manager, Jessica Lally, to come and, and give just yeah. an update on, on what we've been doing. Thank I know you. They've been that is my recollection. At least that was the experience at my yeah, house. And I'm a little concerned that in six weeks I'm going to start being charged for this huge trash can that I have no idea where it came from. <laughs> I mean, it's been here forever. I've lived in the house 22 years and had the same huge trash can. If you don't need that big of a trash can, which we hope you don't, you can downsize. I, I, I understand, but I didn't know until I could dig or, until I dug around the website how to do that. Now I know I call 311, but it was not on the postcard. Jessica, if you could state your name for the record. Hi, everyone. Jessica Lally, program manager for the volume-based pricing program. Um, so like Margaret said, after this pass at the end of June, we've done a lot of work since then. The WasteWise newsletter was the first mailer that went out citywide, and the purpose of that was really to just communicate the changes that were coming down the line. Um, the next phase of this, you'll see another newsletter in the mail in December um, explaining more about the rollout and the timeline and the expectations and the trash card exchanges. But all, so our recommendations right now is that if you're a current compost customer, great you can request a downsized trash cart today. Um, but since we've communicated that compost is not rolling out until later in 2023, we don't actually recommend that our customers 
downsize their trash unless they're truly a small household, a single person. Um, until that compost cart arrives, they can see their trash decrease, all the food waste and yard debris is going into the compost now, and then they understand that they can have a smaller trash cart for their home. So uh, we will be crediting anyone who does not have access to our compost service from day one in order to, you know, because they can't decrease their trash like we want them to. So that communication is coming. You will also, as a property owner, receive a letter in the mail at least 30 days before your invoice comes in the mail explaining details specifically for the people who are paying these bills and uh, our trash cart exchanges that we've, our requests that we've received so far, which is about 5,000, we are uh, exchanging those before the end of the year. Is that enough Thank information? You. Thank you. Um, Rudy, I then Jack. I wish it had been you know, 60 days ago, less than some angst, but okay. <laughs> My question, <clears throat> mine is a fairly simple question. It has to do with, are you factoring Denver's <clears throat> growth, the percentage of growth that Denver's incurring? Because there's a lot of growth going on further pressure on the fleet maintenance, further pressure on more staff. And I just want to uh, bring it to your attention to at least factor that in and when you're doing the, uh, the new volume base pricing because it's, Denver's growth is just outstanding. It's just, you see it every day. It, I definitely agree with you. And I think, you know, really when we did the reroute, we captured a lot of efficiencies because the city has changed so much and there hasn't been a reroute in decades. So. You know, that, that really helped, and I also know the cost model that we put together um, with all the assumptions in you know, how this new system is going to work does include um, growth um, assumptions and also the need for more trucks and more drivers as we continue to serve a growing city. Thank you. Jeff? Uh, one comment and one question. Uh, the comment is that, um, is, I think Leslie pointed out, if you had a website, it's because for some of us, you get a flyer and then you forget the difference between compost and, you know, whatever is recyclable so that people can, especially the older people can, and new people coming in, uh, can, you know, understand what the rules are and what that means. Um, the other question I have is, is kind of an aside. What does age have to do with that? <laughs> well, I'm talking about myself. So I, okay, I'm just going uh, to okay. an original <clears throat> composter back on the farm, you know, as a kid. <laughs> yeah, so, so was I back on the farm. But at, at any rate, um, you know, looking at some of the homelessness and also you were talking about some a lot of trash that's around on properties that you, there's no homeowner around. Just out of curiosity, how do you police that? And can you put liens on properties or do whatever to keep, as this city gets larger and as Rudy points out, with more people, you know, everybody complains about some things that seem to be deteriorating. What kind of tools do you have to deal with this? Just as a citizen, I'm asking that question. Certainly, yes. You know, and I will say that um, during the pandemic, we did we did see. It sounds like it's here in the building. <laughs> it's. I think it's. It may. It may be. It may be the sheriff coming. 
for the <laughs> attorney who left. So, um, so yeah, so the illegal dump sites, that is something that we saw increase during the pandemic years. And we do keep a heat map. Uh, so we know, you know, there are certain parts of town, certain areas, certain alleys that um, seem to attract that illegal dumping. And that is something that Director Villa and his team addressed when we went to the reroutes. We now collect residential, um, residential collections Monday through Thursday. And Friday now is a dedicated day to go around the city and address the illegal illegal dump sites and it is something that we map we keep track of we do have inspectors um, you know it, it is amazing how they can trap that they can track um, the uh, the refuse usually to um, to a person who, who did it you know uh, there there's usually identifying um, material in there so don't think just because you dumped it in an alley and no one saw you that that we don't know, but um, but again, we're um, really focused on education and, and that that piece, that enforcement piece. Although I think you know that's something that we're talking about and that we think we're going to have to increase. Right now, it's really a focus on finding those areas and cleaning them up. So proactively, you're going down the rivers like the Platte River, Bear Valley, trying to clean those illegal dumping that that's occurring. Because I don't see much cleaning. I see a lot of dumping. Just your reaction on those major cleanup thoroughfares like that. So there, there's, um, you know, a, that line between is it an illegal dump site or is it an uh, encampment of some sort? And we have a, a different team dealing with the, the encampment, and actually that's a team uh, that, that Nick oversees. So maybe if you want to talk about some of the increased I don't want to detract because we've got one more funding recommendation oh, okay. yeah, well, that they but, have to present. But, but thank you for your question. It is something we recognize yeah, and that yeah. we're definitely um, working to increase that service. Thank you. Uh, that's all I wanted to hear. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's continue. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and um, I will actually now hand it over to Carol who will present uh, finding three. Beginning on page 31, our third finding is the city is inadequately prepared for its new volume-based pricing program, which may worsen existing service delivery issues for residents. When the program begins in January 2023, compost service will expand to more than 140,000 more residents and bi-weekly recycling will become a weekly service. While volume-based pricing is seen as the most effective and cost-efficient method for increasing waste diverted from landfills, Division and city leaders failed to assess whether the division was prepared and equipped to implement such a significant change, what trash, recycling, and compost services residents want and how much they're willing to pay, and whether the fees the city set were appropriate. On page 32 of our report, we discussed the city's waste diversion rate, the amount of material diverted from the landfill through recycling and composting efforts. Denver's rate of 35% is significantly lower than other cities we researched with similar volume-based pricing programs. For example, Seattle's rate is 54% and Austin, Texas has a rate of 42%. Denver's waste diversion rate includes waste collected from the entire city, not just the 180,000 households serviced by solid waste management. So waste collected from businesses and large apartment complexes are included in the city's rate. 
City officials want to improve upon the current rate and believe that volume-based pricing for residences served by the Solid Waste Management Division can improve Denver's waste diversion rate. Further, the Waste No More initiative to require recycling and composting for larger apartment buildings and townhome complexes, businesses, and construction and demolition sites was a ballot measure passed by city residents on November 8, 2022. Before City Council approved the volume-based pricing program in June of 2022, the division collected opinions from about 1,000 residents, which is less than 1% of their customer base, and residents were not given options to choose from so they could provide objective feedback about potential program design. Again, referring to federal guidelines, customer feedback provides city management with the information necessary to identify what the residents value and then communicate how the city is recognizing those interests through the services it provides and the fees it charges. Despite questions from Denver City Council members and our own requests during this audit, Solid waste management officials did not provide data such as an environmental or cost analysis supporting weekly recycling and no needs assessment was conducted to validate that the division has the capacity to support expanded recycling and composting services. Meanwhile, leading practices on program design say that when services change or new programs are created, government organizations should seek insight from similar cities to improve efficiency and effectiveness. As a result, the Solid Waste Management Division also risks worsening known service delivery issues. City officials intend for the volume-based pricing program to eventually be self-sustaining. However, Solid Waste Management officials are not sure whether the monthly fees they set will be sufficient to meet that goal, nor can they say whether the city will need to increase its fees in the future in order to do so. Denver's fees for trash pickup will range from $9 to $21 per month, depending on the size of a cart a resident chooses. In researching other cities with similar volume-based pricing programs, we learned Denver's fees are significantly less, while at the same time, Denver will provide more frequent services, requiring more staff and equipment, making these options more costly to the city than potential alternatives. To achieve the most significant changes in individuals' behaviors towards recycling and composting, the E-Conservation Institute says the difference between fees should be higher, so if fees start at $9, they should increase to $16 and then to $29, with each progressively larger trash cart. We conclude that the volume-based pricing program may not be effective at achieving the city's goal to increase Denver's waste diversion rate, and the already understaffed division does not have a reliable fleet of trucks. The expanded recycling and compost service in 2023 will increase demands on the division's staff and likely worsen service delivery problems. Therefore, our final recommendation of the audit, found on page 37 of the report. Recommendation 3.1, conduct an annual performance review. Within the first year of the volume-based pricing program, the division should plan, document, and implement processes to regularly review the division's performance for service delivery and how well it's increasing waste diversion behaviors of the Denver households it serves. Such review processes may include a cost of service rate analysis, a resident satisfaction and service preference survey, and environmental cost analysis. The division should complete such reviews in the second year of program operations, which will help position the division to meet the program reporting requirement defined in city ordinance. 
This concludes our presentation. I will now pause for questions and comments on finding three or to answer any remaining questions and comments. Margaret? <clears throat> we, we agree with that recommendation and we will continue to collect data and you know, see how our community responds to this new program. Yeah, you know, I think uh, by the um, you know, uh, overwhelming adoption of the Waste No More ordinance or, or passing of that ballot measure, um, we think that our community is ready. So we're, but we will um, continue to monitor data. And as part of the ordinance, we do have to perform a cost of service study um, no less than every five years. So, you know, that, that is something that we will be doing. Um, does the range of monthly charges with the other cities, is that a glimpse into the future for Denver? Um, I don't think get, so. They and, get expensive. And I'll tell you, we have a lot of um, savings because we really operate in the city structure. So, you know, a lot of the overhead, our HR, our technical services, our legal department, you know, there, there are a lot of services that are provided to solid waste as part of the umbrella being in the city. <clears throat> so we, you know, we do think um, that we are able to provide a, you know, a, a really great service to the city of Denver at a lower cost than many other cities. Florine? To, to, the, to that point of cost, <clears throat> um, earlier uh, in, I think it was section one, uh, there was a comment made that um, the city believed that it would, or the city was making money on the recycle um, program. And I've always wondered, uh, uh, maybe if you could elaborate a little on how that is balanced with, or how, that, how the transaction works as far as um, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, because somewhere else it mentioned that you can have loads rejected by the, and I don't believe it was the composter, I think it was the recycler person, or company. Um, but will that also be true from composting? I mean, one of these pictures in here looked like it had a whole bunch of stuff that yeah. would not biodegrade. Right, um, I don't know if that was our dump or not. But. So those, those, that's kind of a two-pronged two question, if you could just talk Absolutely. about the cost a little. Sure, and, and I'll just briefly go into the, you know, the recycle market changes, you know, almost monthly, and, you know, it, it, and we really are, I think, as an industry trying to close the cycle so that, uh, you know, the material is really valuable if you have a use for it. Right. And, um, and that's something here in Colorado we're really focused on, um, making sure that we also support industry that comes up to use that recycled material. Mm. So, um, so to answer your question, um, some months um, we're paying to recycle and some months we, we um, actually get a revenue from the recycled material. So it's actually based on whether there's more glass versus aluminum or mm. plastic it's based, versus? Yeah, it's based on the commodity market. Yeah, that's what I meant. It's whatever's you got that month. And then the contamination issue? Yes, and the contamination issue. And that's something that we're talking a lot about in the industry and here in Colorado, especially along the Front Range as we're all trying to um, divert more. And so there are a lot of strategies. We're, we're talking with them. Um, confusing. I was serious about my. Well, and, and <laughs> yeah, and we're, we've uh, heard a lot of feedback that we need to educate better on, yeah, when you stand in front of those three bins, which, which goes where? And, and I'll admit I stand in front of the bins sometimes too. And, yeah. 
Well, um, I, I look in the so bottom of the product, you know, for the one <laughs> but I don't always see that. And, and you I know can't a six is, you yeah. can't always go by this. Well, a six is bad, but I don't know if a five is okay. I mean, I, you know, I forget. I, I think Ms. Lolly's got... That's okay. If you're you're but, gonna you're gonna do it. That's that's right. Fine, but. We do have um, a site on our website that you can enter in your material, and it'll tell you um, which bin to put it in. And I think we need to make that a little more prominent because we've heard people don't know about that. Uh, so, yeah. but that is something that we need to focus on. It, and we'll do that. Do, are there many tr loads rejected? I guess that's the other no. part, though. Are, are you talking about recycling or compost or both? Uh, both. So recycling, we we haven't had. I think we've had one load in ten years. Oh, great! Okay. Uh, the compost, I, I think you know, on that report, uh, they said um, they were um, not acceptable. But to my knowledge, uh, we haven't had one um, rejected yet. Uh, Margaret, Nick, Rich, I want to thank you for uh, this morning. I think your responses were very constructive, and I appreciate uh, your attendance here this morning. And best wishes to Adam. I hope he makes it back from Memphis sometime. <laughs> well, thank you. We want to we want to thank the the committee and staff. Um, definitely know it takes a lot of time. I also do just want to mm. quickly give a shout out to the 179 professionals in solid waste management who serve our city. You know, the hard work and dedication that these employees perform day in and day out <clears throat> goes often unnoticed. And I, I just want to take this opportunity to provide my gratitude to the men and women in the solid waste division. And, and Director Via and all the work that he and his team do to keep operations running. You know, I want you to know we see you and we know the pride you take in your work and the extra effort you put into serving our residents. Um, you know, my commitment to you is that we will continue to improve our policies and procedures and modernize our operations to better support the important work you do. So thank you. Thank As you. As a resident, I'd like to second that and say that, you know, some, a little gift card now and then, you know, or, or, or Gatorade, Gatorade in, the, in the summertime uh, can go, can be nice. A nice gesture too. I, I know during the pandemic a lot of our residents um, made posters and signs just to you know to thank the workers who were out when you know much of the city was a ghost town because mm -hmm. people you know our essential workers had to be out and so um, yeah just it'd be a mess if they weren't there. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. All right that thank concludes you. the briefing. Um, and we have another general business item, a couple general business items. Uh, we will not have an audit committee scheduled uh, for December. Uh, the audit committee members will hold an executive session to talk about external audit matters. So we will not be here in the Par Widener room. Um, our next public meeting will be Thursday, January 18th at 9 a.m. here in the Par Widener room. Uh, with that, I'd like to say to the viewing public, I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. And since it'll be January, uh, season's greetings, happy new year. Um, anything I missed in there? Uh, my birthday's in there. But, uh, <laughs> with that, uh, the meeting is concluded. Uh, we need to go into executive session first, so to have a conversation with our external auditors.
I move that we move into executive session. Second. Any discussion? All in favor? Aye. Aye. All right. We are in executive session. Thank you.